If you did the readings we posted on Facebook, you've looked at the main scriptures that we're going to deal with today. So thank you to those who did that and those who commented on that. Uh, <clears throat> we appreciate it. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10 and 12. Uh, let me start at verse 10. There's a quiz coming. Okay? Three questions I'm going to ask the room, and I would like someone in the room to have the courage to answer in one sentence. I'll do the preaching, thank you. In one sentence. All right? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know how to do it tactfully, so I did it rudely. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but the first question is, what does this scripture teach you about God? What does this scripture teach you about people? And uh, then there's a third question that I forgot. Let me get see if I can find it real quick. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, what... Um, what should we do about it? There it is, okay. All right, Ephesians 5.10. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them for the light makes everything visible this is why it said awake o sleeper rise up from the dead and christ will give you light so be careful how you live don't live like fools but like those who are wise make the most of every opportunity in these evil days now, I would like someone to go ahead and in one sentence answer the question, what did we just learn about God from this passage that we read? Michael, where are you? Michael's the mic guy. Mike has the mic. There you are. You look good today. All right. What does this teach us about God? Someone who would do it? One sentence. What does it teach us about God? Oh, Miss Phyllis back there. Miss Phyllis back there. I'm sorry. Phyllis. That one back there. Okay. Yes, let Michael hold the microphone. If you get out of line, he can cut you off. That's how that works, okay? What do we learn about God? Say again? God puts light on everything. Good deal. Hey, applause for Miss Phyllis. Takes a lot of courage. Next Sunday, I'm just going to call out people at random. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. I just like to watch panic pop up on people's face that's a good answer God gives us light let me add a little bit to that God has standards there is a way that is light and there is a way that is darkness and those are different ways you understand that give me a nod pretend you're here all right good deal what do we learn about people from this raise your hand high one, one sentence answer what do we learn about people they're scared. All right, over here, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but Michael will find out. All right. It's Renee. Renee, hi. Welcome to Order First time visitor today. Yeah, wow, right on the spot. That's Ari, courageous Ari right there. Ari has a mug, too. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who will do evil. There are people who will do evil. Okay, thank you, Renee. That's good. That's right. We are suckers for darkness. Let me put it in the Michael Maynard translation. 
People are kind of pulled into the darkness. We like the darkness. We like to talk about the darkness. We like to make fun of the darkness. And in the darkness, there is shame and there are evil intentions in the darkness. We learn that about people. They like darkness. There's shame in the darkness. There are evil intentions in the darkness. Last question, who, what brave soul will tackle this? If you really believe that what we just read is from God, then what should we do about it? Anyone want to tackle that one? All right, over here, Kirtland. Where's, there he goes. Man, you're quick. That's good. Jackrabbit Longfellow. <laughs> um, we should surrender our darkness to God. We should surrender our, what was that one word? Surrender our darkness to God. Surrender our darkness to God. Good job. Great answer. Great answer. Okay, Michael, that's the only three questions I have. That was the pop quiz this morning, okay? Yes, we want to live pleasing. You notice from the verse, the very first phrase, Paul points out that there is a way to live that pleases God, and we want to live in a way that pleases God. We don't want to just to pretend that what we're doing is pleasing God. So what we did today was, uh, we call it the discovery process. It's just a very simple way for you to interact with the Bible, to simply ask it these questions. What does it teach about God? What does it teach about people? What should I do about it? Who should I share it with? We're not going to get into that last question today, but we are going to jump to a video. Now, this video is a little bit hard-hitting, and you'll understand why I'm talking about blankies today. But uh, as, we, as we lay this foundation, this low point in the message, so to speak, we're going to, to come out of this into wakefulness. So we're talking about the lullaby today, and uh, that makes no sense to you at the moment. Don't worry. Hopefully by the time I'm done, it'll make more sense. I need volume. most impactful thing that he shared with me was a story about his wife actually something that his wife said that has really stuck in my head he talked about how years ago they had an opportunity to move to the United States and live there so they did and then after being in the United States for a short period of time his wife began to plead with him to take her back to Iran which he felt like was crazy. I mean, who, who wants to move back to Iran under all sorts of oppression where, where the sharing of your faith could bring the end of your life or brutal incarceration or rape or all sorts of horrible things? Who, who, who wants to do that? I mean, who, who wants to move from the United States to Iran? She told him, there's a satanic lullaby here. And all the Christians are sleepy, and I'm feeling sleepy. And that, that little story uh, disturbed me because this woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was a greater threat than the kind of persecution that happens in Iran. And that threat was spiritual sleepiness. That is a more dangerous situation than persecution. And I had to ask myself the question, is that true? Is that true? 
This clip is from a film that's available to you free on YouTube called Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. It's about a two-hour-long documentary on one of the greatest revivals happening on the planet right now in Iran, of all places. I want you to consider the words of this Iranian Christian who spent most of her life in persecution without freedom to worship or share faith who got the opportunity to move to the United States of America and after a period of time asked her husband to move back to Iran. Her statement is, there is a satanic lullaby here and all the Christians are sleepy and I am feeling sleepy. You read statements like that and then you come to Ephesians 5 where Paul says, awake, awaken, wake up. And that is where we begin this series called Rise and Shine with this need for Western Christians, American Christians, Christians in Rock Springs to awaken. And I am not preaching this sermon at you. I am in as much need and more than anyone in this room to wake up to the realities in which we live. Because I believe that most of the chaos and the disorder and the drama that we are living in today are merely distractions to make us want to grab our blankie, go take another nap. And so the reason I gave you that swatch of cloth that my wife cut by hand for a blanket project a few years ago probably is I want you to take it home this week and put it some prominent place, and every time you see it, I want to ask you to pray for God to wake us up. This is a serious, serious issue that we have to address today, and we begin in a place that isn't the most comfortable for us. I mean, we really like to hear, you know, man, how to how to feel good about yourself and, and how to wrap your heart around your identity and, and all those things. And those are all truthful things. But if, if you were to watch the Sheep Among Wolves documentaries, there are two of them, they are very thought-provoking, you would realize, and it might help you understand, that in the Western church we have a great theology for a lot of things. We have a great theology for Scripture, great theology for abundance, uh, great theology for healing, great theology for prayer. We do not have good theology when it comes to persecution and suffering. And that is a huge hole in our theology because if you read the New Testament, you're going to see that suffering and persecution were a huge part, a big part of what they believed. They did not go through hard times and ever wonder if God loved them. They could look at the cross, which they'd only known about through the stories and testimonies of others, by the way. They could look at the cross and, and no longer doubt for a moment that God desperately loved them. They could go through these hard times rather than afraid that God was angry at them uh, or that the world was against them. They realized and they knew that they were in a world at war and they looked forward to Jesus' return. And that was a huge part of New Testament theology is that Jesus come, is coming back. Yes, life is difficult now, but it's okay. This is a, a vapor. This life is a wisp of smoke. Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, democracy is over. You understand that, right? 
No more voting. King of kings, Lord of lords, ruling with a rod of iron. That's how that goes down. Check out Revelation. You might not want to be a Christian anymore once you read that. Harsh, huh? But true. So how can we wake up and join our first century brothers and sisters? I want to look at three churches in Revelation. There were seven that Jesus addressed. There were a lot more than seven churches at the time. There's a lot of symbolism in Revelation. Regardless of your eschatological or end times worldview, there's a lot of symbolism there. And so Jesus says to the church in Revelation 3, the church, he says, I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains. Here's a church, Sardis, unless my brain just skipped to the wrong church. Nope, Sardis, thank you. It happens, my brain skips. It's like an old record player. You know what those are. Never mind. Here's a church that was, they were lit. They were the cool church. They had a reputation of being alive. People wanted to hang out with the Christians in Sardis, the church at Sardis. And, and here's what you need to understand about churches. We're not talking about buildings when we talk about churches. We're not talking about budgets. We're not talking about all the things that most people consider church today. We're talking about the people who are part of the church. That's who we're talking about. They had a reputation, and Jesus said, wake up the interesting thing about the city of sardis was that it was a well-protected city had never been taken in open war but had been taken twice through deception and so here's jesus saying to this church you had a reputation everybody loves you or a lot of people love you but you're actually asleep and you need to wake up they were cool they had a good reputation but that did not mean that they were faithful It did not mean that they were awake. The second church is the Laodicean church. We talk about them a lot. They make a lot of sermons. In Revelation 3, the end of the chapter, Jesus says to them, You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This is the rich church. You know what the problem was in Sardis? Self-sufficiency. They took care of themselves. I mean in Laodicea, excuse me. There was a, historically, there was actually a horrible earthquake that struck Laodicea. When Rome sent them emergency funds to help them recover from the earthquake, Laodicea sent them back. They didn't need them. That's how self-sufficient they were. And the, the spirit of the city also infected the church. And there's nothing worse for a Christian than self-sufficiency. If you are the kind of Christian that doesn't even need Jesus... You have a problem. This is the only church, by the way, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We use that text all the time for for people who are unsaved and say, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking, let him in. And that is not the context. The context is here's Jesus locked out of his own church, trying to get back in. So you have one church that's cool. But cool does not mean you're awake and it does not mean you're faithful. You have one church that has abundance and they have money and they have resources. But having those supplies does not mean they are faithful, does not mean they are awake. And then you come to this church. 
Jesus says to him, only two churches did not get a reprimand. But Jesus says in Revelation 2, verse 9, to this little church, he says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. This is a Jesus that doesn't fit American theology. This is a Jesus that says to a church about to face suffering, already going through suffering, he doesn't say, don't worry, I'm going to save you from the suffering. He says, don't be afraid to suffer. This is why we need a theology for this, guys. This is so important. This poor little church, and by the way, this poor little church was made out of people like you and I who were poor. They lived in a culture in which for a little while they enjoyed the freedom to declare Jesus as Lord, which is the proclamation of Christianity in a Roman culture that demanded you say Caesar is Lord. But because Christianity launched off the shirt tails of Judaism, they got a bit of a reprieve. But the problem was, in this little town, the church of Sardis, that the Jews there wanted that freedom removed. They, did not, they no longer wanted them to identify with the Jude- Jewish background. They wanted them to suffer and be forced to say the one thing they could not say, that Caesar is Lord. Because Christians say that Jesus is Lord. Amen? You know what that means when you say Jesus is Lord, right? It means he's the boss. I don't get up today and make my plan. I get up each day and I ask Jesus his plan. He's the boss. And so these Christians in Sardis were poor, but in Jesus' eyes they were rich. And Jesus' answer to them was do not fear and look forward to his return. Wakefulness is not determined by your wealth. It's not determined by your reputation. Faithfulness is not determined by those things. What is evidence of those things is the presence of Jesus in your life and obedience to his commands. Christians know Jesus says things that set the course of our lives. Christians do what Jesus tells them to do. You remember the Great Commission? Jesus told the disciples, go out and teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. So any kind of Christianity that doesn't have an obedience component is foreign from the instructions of Jesus. Does that make sense? Pretty simple. And so these early churches, Jesus addresses some sleepiness and some wakefulness in them. But this isn't the only time. There were some sleepy disciples too. Right? You guys remember Peter, Jesus, the night before he's going to be crucified. He says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 41, keep watch and pray so that when you give in, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Let me jump to the next text before we um, speak on this a bit. He says, Jesus returned. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. 
Then, verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinner. sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, pray so you will not give in to temptation. Pray so you will not give in to temptation. What does that teach you about prayer? To teach you that if we are struggling with temptations in our lives, and we all are, that prayer has a lot to do with how we overcome that. What, had Pete, what would have looked, Peter's life looked like had he spent that evening praying rather than sleeping? You have to wonder because Jesus knew what they were about to all endure. And he had already told Peter, hey, before the night's over, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no way. And so Jesus gives him like the answer to the pop quiz. They're going to the garden. Jesus is going to pray. He knows he needs presence of Father to get through the next day. And he's trying to help the disciples. And he says to Peter, hey, you've got to watch and pray with me that you don't enter temptation. He is giving Peter a secret ingredient. He said, hey, man, if you're going to overcome prayer, I mean, overcome sin, overcome temptation, you've got to spend time in presence. You've got to be with Papa, with Father. That's where the wakefulness comes from. And we see in their story how hard it is to stay awake. And so I want to tell you something that's very important. We live in the land of the lullaby. Satan sings through his various temptations and sins and darkness. This lullaby over us to keep lulling us back to sleep in the midst of a war. And it's hard to stay awake, and you will not do it by accident. You'll hear what I say today. I'll hear what I say today. Sometimes I don't listen to me, but still. And then this afternoon, the, the lullaby will begin, and I'll easily be lulled back into the next distraction by the enemy while the darkness continues to invade. And the answer to the darkness, by the way, is not political freedom. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like freedom, but if the gospel could advance more in the absence of freedom, what would I prefer? So I want to encourage us to rise and shine. I want to encourage us to this week grab the blankie and look at it and pray for wakefulness. Several, uh, well it's been about a month and a half ago now, I was asleep in my bed, which is one of my favorite places to be in a place I don't get to go to often enough, in my humble opinion. So I was asleep, and in my sleep I dreamed that someone was trying to break into my house. Have you ever had a dream like that, that you woke up, but you didn't actually wake up? Like someone's beating on the door trying to break into my house, and, I'm, and, I'm, and it wakes me to a certain level in my dream, and I, I've got to get up and defend my home, but I'm asleep. It's a night terror. All of a sudden, I can't move. I can't speak. I'm laying there in the dream, and I hear someone trying to break in, but I can't wake up. And so in my dream, I, wait, I realize I'm asleep, which is a weird, weird thing. And I'm trying to, make, to get my mouth to work, to get something to move, to, get to, to awaken myself. And thank goodness I have an amazing wife who's pretty sensitive to how strange I am. And... <laughs> 
So she, she woke me up. And when I woke up, it was just a dream. My heart was still going really fast, but it was, it was just a dream. I went back to sleep. About a month later, I had watched The Sheep Among Wolves, Volume 2. And the dream came back, the exact same dream, exact same noises. When you have the same dream twice, you need to pay attention. You may not have a theology for it, but the Bible does say that God speaks through visions and dreams. And so I'm laying there, I'm asleep, sound asleep, and all of a sudden, the noise. Someone's trying to tear into my house. More than one person. It sounds like there's a squad coming in my home, and I can't. I realize I can't wake up, and I start trying to make a noise so my wife will help me awaken. She, she hears me. She realizes I'm having a nightmare. She wakes me up, and it's, there's nothing. I probably still got to check the house. So about a couple days later, I finally had the presence of mind to ask God about it. I'm like, this dream's happened twice, Papa. What are you trying to tell me? There's something going on. I feel like Dad said, Father said, there's an assault upon you in the spirit. In the spirit, the enemy is trying to get in. You must awaken. You must fight out of your slumber and resist. That's why we need to rise and shine. We don't live in a world at peace that has bad things happen. We live in a world at war in which God brings good things to us on a regular basis. And God's goodness is so good that we don't realize we live in a world that's corrupt and broken. We need to wake up. We need a theology, a way of thinking about God that can handle the difficulties ahead. We must awaken. Yes, we need to awaken as a church, but how you know that a church is awake is when its members, its disciples of Jesus that gather together, when they are individually awake. We must wake up. Romans chapter 13. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. Paul wrote this to the Christians in Rome who had not met yet almost 2,000 years ago. I want you to hear the urgency of the Scripture. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. If it was late 2,000 years ago, how late is it now? You know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer that now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Don't let your version of following Jesus just be another chorus of the enemy's lullaby to keep you comfortable and at rest. Christians are at peace in the midst of chaos, not in the absence of chaos. 
Christians are at peace in the midst of chaos, not in the absence of chaos. How is that so? Because our peace is in Christ. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am your peace. That's what Jesus said. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation. In the world you'll have problems and troubles. You'll have persecution and suffering. Your peace is not in the world. It's not in your bank account. It's not in how many friends you have. It's not in how comfortable your home is. It's not in how comfortable the air temperature is outside or how often you go on vacations and trips. Your peace is only found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you understand? This is important. And so we must fight for wakefulness. How can we do that? Let's find Jesus. Where's Jesus? Did he never leave me or forsake me? He's with me all the time, Michael. I know you know that. I doubt you experience that. Where was Jesus when he was on earth? I mean, where was he hanging out? With the high priest? They were chilling, drinking a latte, talking about world events, how to overthrow Rome. Jesus was out among the poor. The foreigners, the Greeks, who that Jews were very prejudiced against. He was out among the sick. He told us that those who took care of the poor and the foreigners and the, the sick and the prisoners, they were actually taking care of him. So let me ask you a question again. You don't have to answer this out loud. Please don't. But if Jesus was among the poor and the foreigners and the sick and the prisoners when he walked the earth, I wonder where he is today. I'm going to call him the Pipsy. I had Miss Hallie, I confused Miss Hallie when I sent her. I sent her a request. I said, Hallie, can you draw me the Pipsy? And uh, I got back a very strange response, and I realized she had no idea what I was talking about. You ever do that in life? You, you work out something in your own thinking and then forget that you haven't told another soul on the planet what you're thinking about. So there's a, there's a piece of artwork. I love Miss Hallie. I can just share with her whatever weird thing's in my head and she can turn it into a graphic image. And then I hurt her feelings because I, I'm not that great at art anyway. And so I'm like, that's a cool picture. And that's about all I got. But it's in the back of the room and I'd like you to check it out when you leave. It's how she captured the people that Jesus hangs out with. And you can look at it before you go. My point is simply this. If you're going to wake up, why not go where Jesus is already working? What an idea, huh? Help us wake up. And so uh, we need to wake up. We need to fight for wakefulness. And then we need to start a fire. The Ephesians 5.14 says, For the light makes everything visible. And what this talks about, um, if you, you boil it down to some of the Greek, which I'm not going to bore you, uh, bore you with, but, but the simple reality is, is that light begets light. Like a flame begets a fire. Like you, 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 this is the kind of light he's talking about, that you, you, you walk into the situation as light, and the light that's in you enlightens someone else. And that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to bring light into a dark world. And we need to stop griping about how dark the world is. We need to stop complaining about how lost, lost people are. Okay? And we need to stop worrying that they don't get us. 
It's okay. They don't have to get us. Jesus got us. That's all the got you need, right? And so we need to, we need to fight for this wakefulness, and we do that by, by seeking Christ, by going where he goes, and by sharing the light of Christ that is within us, that he gave us. Bottom line, guys, we have to wake, awaken from our slumber. And so let me wrap this thing up with, with just some ideas of that, that might help you step out into this. One, I already challenged you to take your blankie home and put it somewhere prominent. Your blankie. I know it's stupid, but you'll remember it now. And, and every time you see it, put it somewhere. I want you to ask Jesus to wake you up. Okay? Here's the second thing. I usually, th- this is a lesson I've learned in life, and, and you may disagree with me, and it's okay for you to be wrong. Totally, totally free. Usually in life, my problem is not that I don't know what God wants me to do. My problem usually is I know exactly what God wants me to do. I just don't want to admit it. That's usually my problem. And so here's what I want you to do this week. This is your homework. It's so much your homework that we're going to take testimonies on it next week. Okay? But I want you to ask God, I want you to talk to God about the thing that you know you're supposed to be doing or that you know God wants you to do. I'm not even asking you to go do the thing yet. We'll get to that some other week. I'm asking you to start praying in the thing. What does that mean, Michael? I want to ask you to, to find out whatever space that... God wants you to inhabit. Whatever darkness God wants you to bring light to, I want you to admit where it is to yourself, and I want you to start praying in that space. What might that look like? I I can't even begin to imagine. Let me throw a couple wild ideas out there. Maybe God's calling you, oh man, I shouldn't even say this. I will anyway. Maybe God's calling you to get involved in politics. (laughs) Lord help you, Jesus. I... You might need another pastor for that one anyway. I'm just kidding. Maybe he's calling you to get involved in some of the problems in our community. Maybe, he's, maybe you feel like there's a, a nonprofit group you're supposed to be involved with. Maybe there's something you're supposed to be doing in the, spiritually as a, a Bible teacher or an evangelist or, or a prayer warrior. What I'm, what I'm asking to do is I want you to go stand in that space either physically or spiritually. Maybe if God's calling you to politics, you go down to City Hall, pray in their parking lot. That's what I'm talking about. Maybe it's that you, need to, you, you know that God's calling you into his word deeper, and so I want you to get out a Bible or your phone that has the Bible on it, whatever it is, sit on the table and just pray right there in that space. You might go, this sounds corny. Have you read the Bible? You know Isaiah preached naked for a year, Right? Hopefully God won't call you to that. I have no counseling uh, agenda for that kind of conversation <laughs> whatsoever. I'm just saying, you probably already know what God wants you to do. I want you to go stand as close to that space as you can get, whether it's in your mind or especially if it can be physically done. Get in that space, and I want you to talk to God about what he wants you to do. That's all I'm asking you to do. All the while begging God to help you wake 
because there is an enemy and he is banging down your door and we have to wake up and we have to have a theology for the difficulties of, ahead we have to stop wishing for what will never be the past is over the future's coming and in that future is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on a white horse in a white robe with a big sword coming to rule that's my Lord and Savior he's the authority under which we will reign does that make sense we have to get a thinking about God in line with what's coming Michael would you come and lead us in prayer worship team would you come Steve if you guys could put a little music behind Michael <clears throat> We're going to do something a little different this morning. As you can tell, we're doing quite a few things differently. You know, Michael challenged us to, to know where we need to be, where God has called you to be specifically to pray at. And what we're going to do this morning is there's so many times that we hear, we hear a powerful message. We, the Spirit is moving in our lives. We, we worship and then we leave. And sometimes we forget about what the Spirit has said to our lives. We forget about what God has spoken to our lives and we go about our daily business and it's just as business as normal. What I want you to do today is that if you know specifically where God has called you to be, whether it's down at City Hall, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at the soup line, you know specifically where you are at, where God is calling you, I want you to stand right now. I want you to make that, that decision, understanding that you know where you're supposed to be in this life. Maybe, maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know where you're supposed to be, where God is calling you, what you're supposed to be praying for. But maybe in the back of your mind and for maybe years, God has continually called you to a certain spot and wanted you to be that medic. That person who's going to bring, bring the gospel to so many different people's lives. And when I say the gospel, I don't mean just preaching. But I mean just praying for that situation. So what I want to do right now is with those people who are standing, I want you to just say a one-word prayer for me. What word comes to your mind when you think about that spot that you are being called to? The word that I want this week for my life is courage. Because I know this, wor- this week at work is going to be a, a very draining, emotional week. And it's going to be very, very difficult and very hard. And I want courage this week. So give me a one-word answer, a one-word prayer that you want for this week, for the beginning where you are called to be. Hope. Hope. Faith, strength, love, vision. Was that vision? Vision. Peace and courage. What was that? Healing. Forgiveness. Patience. Compassion. 
So let's just pray for every single person here that God would pull us, that he would draw us to that spot where we are to be impacting people for him. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have called us. You have called us to be awake. You have called us not to slumber nor to sleep. You've called us not to be apathetic. But you have called us to be the light and the soul to the world. You have called us to be your ambassadors here at our work in Rock Springs, in Green River, in Sweetwater County, and all the counties around God. Lord, you have called us to be on holy ground. For the Holy Spirit is within us, God. And where we walk is holy, because you are holy, God. Lord, I pray for, for the people who know where we are supposed to be. Lord, that you will draw us, that you will take us there, that we will not forget the Spirit, what he's telling us, God. But Lord, you will instill within us a, a desire, a passion, an urgency, God. Not to, not to change the world, but to be obedient to you. For I know, God, if I'm obedient to you, the results are yours. And they are not my responsibility. My responsibility, God, is to be obedient and to listen to you. Lord, I pray for every single person who is seated right now. Lord, I pray that you speak to their hearts, that you draw them to the place that you want them to be. Lord, that they are able to pray over whatever situation. That they are able to grow deeper in the Word of God. Lord, that they are able to be uh, that, that ambassador for you at their workplace. Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for wisdom. I pray for faith. I pray, God, that you will wake us up. Lord, I pray, my Father, this will be our message. That we are a church that is awake, awoke. And that, Lord, we are looking to your return. And, Lord, we pray that you come. But, Lord, I know there are so many people who do not know who you are. Lord, use us as a church that's willing to do whatever it takes. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name, his name. Amen. Oh